0: Well, we are so thankful that you are joining us here. And if you've come before, if this is your church, you're a part of our church family, you know there's one thing that gets us excited around here and that is salvation. That's the thing that pumps us up. We love to see Jesus seek out and save Sinners. Last week we talked about how He opens the eyes of the blind so they can see the glory of the good news that He died for our sins and rose again. And so we celebrate that. And that's really what we're going for. Every Sunday, all of the time, we're praying that Jesus is going to continue to save people here at this church, maybe even this morning. In fact, sometimes it fuels whole events that we do. Where we would love to see people get saved at these events. Like last week we had this big event called Awakening for our youth ministry. Where they went away for winter camp. And I'm here to tell you that there's people right now in our youth ministry down the hall. Worshipping Jesus this morning. That uh, a couple of weeks ago were not worshipping Him. But because of what Jesus did at this camp. They're now professing faith in Jesus Christ. They're saying that they got saved. I was talking with one of them after the first service came to hear the sermon even before going to the youth group. Because they're all fired up about Jesus Christ. And this wasn't just something that happened to camp. The goal was to spread the awakening. To bring it back to the schools here in Orange County. To spread the word. And so they had an event on Thursday night called 121. And you would think, well, where Shane, our youth director, he preached to live is Christ and to die is... He preached that to young people. Teenagers, junior hires, high schoolers. You'd think that's not going to be a very popular message. There was hundred and ten young people there hearing that word. And guess what happened? Another young person says, I want to repent of my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so these are the kinds of things we're praying for, we're looking for. In fact even before the youth camp we did a men's retreat. Where we had some men decide that they needed to redirect their lives to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, we've got some men who went on this retreat who are still thinking about putting their faith in Jesus Christ. They're still contemplating taking that leap of faith. And I was here yesterday at the church pleading with a man, hey, you got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only way of salvation. Now when somebody gets saved, when they take that leap of faith here at our church, man, we love it. Don't, Don't we get excited about that? We clap, we cheer. We get so pumped up, we dunk them in water. That's what we do. We put them on stage, put a microphone in their face, put them under the hot lights, right? Because we want to hear the story. We want to hear the testimony. And we love to see their obedience to getting baptized. In fact, we've got a bold goal that I'm praying for and I hope you're praying for here at our church. Our goal in the year 2016 is to see a hundred people get baptized here at this church. Because we want to celebrate salvation. That's what we want to do. And when somebody gets saved here, we encourage them. But then what happens is they leave this building and they go out into the world. And we have basically just ruined their life. You know what I'm saying? Like we have made their life now much more difficult. Because they used to be able to fit in with the system. And they used to be able to go along with what everybody else is doing. And now they're saying they're leaving that behind to follow Jesus Christ. And now when they go out into the world, see, the world has a negative response. What we celebrate here, we cheer, we clap. They tell us their testimony. They go tell that testimony to their family, to their workplace, to their neighbors. And the clapping and the cheering doesn't necessarily continue. In fact, there might be some mocking. There might be some leaving them out and excluding them from other things going on. In fact, the world might even try to beat that faith right out of them. See, the world is absolutely twisted in its thinking. The world sees things completely upside down. That's how the world is. The world that we live in, in the nation specifically, that we live in right now, is ready to call wrong, right, and right, wrong. And what is celebrated here among God's people is scorned and rejected out there in the world. And so we need to equip everybody who's coming to our church and professing faith and getting baptized and starting this new life. We need to equip them for the negative reaction that they're going to get from the twisted thinking of this world. And so grab your Bible and open it up to John chapter 9. And look with me at what happens to this man who was born blind, who now can see. Last week we looked at the miracle of Jesus. The sign that He did to take a man who was born blind and opened his eyes to see. Now you would think that would be a good day uh, here in the, in the Bible. Man, everybody, finally some good news to report. This guy, this beggar over here who was born blind, he's now walking around seeing, how could that go wrong? Positive story, human interest, touchy-feely, like this is a good thing, right? No, this man who was born blind, and Jesus opens his eyes. He actually becomes an example of the kind of negative reaction That all of us are going to get from the world about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so go to John chapter 9. Hopefully you're there. Uh, It's on page 895 if you got one of our Bibles. And just jump straight to the end of the chapter. Let's just get straight to the punchline. Where Jesus talks about how messed up the world's thinking is. How twisted it is. Look at verse 39 of John 9. Here's the conclusion of the whole story. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, who are really now by this point in the Gospel of John, clearly the enemies of Jesus, those opposed to Jesus. They were near Him and they heard these things and they said to Him, Are we also blind? Surely you can't mean us. And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. See, Jesus, He wants to right all of the wrong that's going on. He wants our thinking to get untwisted and back on the right track. It's the people in this world who admit that they are blind. That they are in sin. That they are wrong. Those are the people who end up seeing. Those are the people that Jesus saves. But those who think they already see, they're already good people. They're already fine going along with the cultural trends of America right now. Those people, Jesus says, well because they think they see, they're really the blind ones. See? And if we're not careful, we're going to let the world's negative response to our faith impact us. And maybe we might even lose our faith completely. And so we're going to follow along and we're going to see what happens with this man as an example for all of us. So go back to verse 8 and let's pick it up right after the miracle. Right after the guy starts walking around seeing, well, there was a lot of commotion. You can see it in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? I think it's that guy, the blind beggar. And some said, yeah, it's him. Others said, no, kind of, he is like him. I see the resemblance. They're a doppelganger maybe, but no, I'm pretty sure that's somebody else. And he kept saying, I'm the man. It's me. I'm over here. See it's like these people are over here arguing about whether it's him or not. And he's like, hey I'm right here. It's me. I was blind. Now, now I see. But the debate goes on. So they said to him in verse 10, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And everybody said, Hallelujah. No, that's not where the story goes. Verse 12. They said to him, where is he? Where is this guy Jesus? And he said, I don't know. So they brought him to the Pharisees. The man who had been formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Dun, dun, dun. If you've been going through John with us, you know that there's already been a whole lot of controversy when Jesus did other miracles on the Sabbath, which is the day of rest where you're not supposed to do any work. And now Jesus has done another miracle on the Sabbath day. We know how the religious leaders responded to that. They thought it was wrong. They called it a sin. It's what really began back in John chapter 5. The whole tension between Jesus and the Jewish people of the day that's still going on right now in chapter 9. And so here's a key fact that you can see is going to create conflict. And the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, that's not really a true statement right there, okay? Uh, The idea of the Sabbath is a pretty complicated idea that you have to understand from the Old Testament. Let's just make it clear. What day of the week is the Sabbath day? Anybody know? Shout it out. Saturday is the Sabbath day. It's the seventh day. It's the last day of the week. Saturday the day of rest. We believe that's how God created the world in six days and on the seventh day He rested. And so then that was meant to be a day of rest for the people of Israel to take time and remember God as Creator, God is Savior and to worship Him, right? And so you weren't supposed to do any work. That's all in the Bible. What it doesn't tell us here, but what happened in the Jewish culture is that what they did is they added all these different types of work that you couldn't do in, on the Sabbath. Now these aren't scripture. These aren't things Moses wrote in Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy. This is now extra biblical things that the Pharisees said. They had like something like 37 different types of work. That you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. Including like making dough and all kinds of things. And so now we see that when Jesus makes mud with his saliva. And puts it on the man's eyes. We talked about that last week. A lot of people looking for the deeper meaning of what's with the mud or the saliva or the pool of Siloam. Well now I think we understand what the meaning is. Jesus is doing what's going to be considered work on the Sabbath. Just to raise a ruckus with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. I think when He's spitting in the mud, in the dirt, and making mud out of it, and rubbing it on the man's eyes, and telling him to go wash himself, I think what Jesus is doing is spitting on the religious laws of the day, and poking these Pharisees in the eyeball. I think He's, he's stepping in it. He's, he's raising a ruckus on purpose, see. Because He knew they would respond like this. They have this debate. How, how could he do this on the Sabbath? That's wrong. But then look what some of the other people are saying. But others said, here in the middle of verse 16, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Man, people don't know how to think about this. The guy's born blind and now he's seeing. Miracle must be from God. Hey, he broke our Sabbath laws. Sinner must not be from God. And there's a sharp division there among the people. And they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Who, which side are you on? And he said, he is a prophet. So he's saying, I think the guy's from God. But here's other people saying he can't be from God because he did this on the Sabbath day. Not actually breaking any of the laws of Scripture, but breaking the man-made traditions of the Pharisees. See? And I guarantee you this, if you decide to believe in Jesus Christ, there is going to be a great sense of division all around you. In this world, there will be division. Let's get that down for point number one. People can't even respond positively to a man who was born blind, now seeing. There's a sharp disagreement about how to think about it. And if you declare to the world that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you believe Him to be Lord, I guarantee you there will be a division as to how people will respond to it. And you will end up realizing that there is a division between the ways of God and the ways of this world. That we are either on the team with Jesus Christ, following Him, or we are part of the world that is hostile to Jesus. That is against Jesus Christ. And wants nothing to do with Him. Now go to Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to see how Jesus, when He was teaching His disciples, He prepared them to enter the fray of this division. Jesus taught his disciples right away from the beginning like the world was going to be against us. There's this division that we're all entering into when we put our faith in Jesus. Now this is in the Gospel of Matthew. A different account of Jesus' life written by his disciple Matthew. Now one thing I always think is worth noting is when Matthew gets called here in chapter 9 verse 9. So this is page 814 if you got one of our Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew. Who's going to end up becoming one of the twelve disciples. And writing this gospel. And he's sitting at the tax booth. And he said to this man. Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now a tax collector was a traitor to the Jews. Selling out to give money to the Romans. Probably taking more money than they should. Seen as just one of the most evil people in the society. And here's Jesus calling him to salvation, to follow him. Now, you see what happens right away is in Matthew 10, we name the twelve apostles. And then if you look right above Matthew 10 verse 5, Jesus sends out the twelve apostles. So I think that from Matthew's perspective, it felt like in one chapter, he was getting called to follow Jesus, and in the very next chapter, he's being sent out by Jesus into the world. Like we get the impression here that it wasn't soon in Matthew's mind, after he became a Christian, after he started following Christ, to then being sent out into the world in the name of Christ. And look how Jesus gives his guys a pep talk before he sends them out. Look at how he preps them. Go down to verse 16. And this is how Jesus would want us to be equipped to engage this world. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep... In the midst of wolves. Doesn't that just immediately inspire confidence right there? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. A lot of an animal analogies here. Verse 17, beware of men. I love that line right there. Like where are you gonna go to avoid men? Watch out for men, right? I don't know if you've ever gone door-to-door evangelizing with us. We like to get out in the neighborhoods and invite people to church. We got our ice cream truck. We go out on Saturday mornings and sometimes you'll see those big beware of dog signs. Everybody everybody remember those signs? And it's on this gate and like the gate is shaking and there's this barking come. And and my son or somebody sometimes that I'm going with is like, how about we just skip this house? You know what I mean? Because it says beware of dog. And I always just picture going and knocking on the front door and there being a sign on the door that says, beware of men, you know. That's what Jesus is saying here. Like, hey, I'm sending you out into the world. Have you met people? Like, watch out. This is going to be bad. Beware of men. For they, here's, what they're, here's what's going to happen. They will deliver you over to courts. They'll flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak. Or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not even you who speak but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for My name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When, not if, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, a name for Satan, which is what they called Jesus, always referring to him as having a demon... If they call Jesus that, well how much more will they malign those of his household. Those who have put their faith in him. Well what a great pep talk. Your first time going out evangelizing. Like yeah, that feels good, right? I mean this is how Jesus equips his disciples. That he's called. That he's saved. Hey, I'm sending you out into the world. Let's just get a realistic perspective of what it's going to be like. Brutal. Expect opposition. There's going to be negative feedback that you are going to feel like the world is divided against you. That's how you're going to feel. And he's he's preparing them for that. Not to be surprised. Not to be taken back. This is how it's going to be. And it's not just for the original 12 disciples. Go to Acts 14. Go to Acts chapter 14. Let's see another example of this kind of preparation. Preparation for the world's negative response. What is celebrated at church will be condemned by the world. And if there's anybody who knows about persecution, it was this guy named Saul, who was the leader of the original persecution of the church. Who is responsible for seeing Christians get killed, throwing Christians in prison, having them beaten. In fact, he was taking his show on the road, the road to Damascus. Where he was going to go persecute more Christians, when he just happened to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. Who said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Anybody know what Jesus said? Why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus takes the negative response of the world to his people personally. And Jesus says, hey, I'll show you what you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And he turns him into maybe the man who got persecuted more than anybody else, the Apostle Paul. He completely radically changes this guy's life. From being a persecutor to the persecuted. And he goes to this town, Lystra. And what does he do in Lystra? Well, he meets a man who cannot walk, who's crippled. And he heals the man so he can walk. Bad move, shouldn't have done it. Because now, here comes some negative consequences. And at first, they act like He's a God and they want to worship Him and He says, no, I'm not a God. Don't worship me. And then, guess who shows up? Acts 14 verse 19. Look at it here. The Jews came. Same kind of thinking as the Pharisees in John chapter 9. The religious leaders who are against the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That saves sinners. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. From these other cities where they would already been evangelizing and planting churches. And having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul. They threw big heavy rocks at him to crush his skull and kill him. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. They literally dragged him outside the city and left him there because he must have looked so bloodied and so beaten up that they thought he was a dead man and they left him there. They left his body outside the city. Now it says verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby to go do more evangelizing. Pretty impressive. Just brushes himself off, walks back into town. Goes to the next town, repeats gospel presentation. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they started going back to the cities they'd been to. To the place where he got persecuted, where they tried to kill him. To Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Hey, praise God if He saved you. Praise Jesus if He's given you eternal life. But I'm just here to warn you this morning, that that eternal life is going to make this life a lot more complicated. A lot more negative response that you're going to receive right here, right now, because you're living for Jesus Christ. That's what we've needed to equip Christians with since the very beginning of disciples. Everybody should underline that. Write that down. Here's the promise. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We are divided against the world and they are going to respond negatively to us. How negatively? Well, right into our closest personal relationships. Go back to John chapter 9 and look at the horrific turn the story takes next. Not only is there a mixed response to this blind man seeing, well watch what happens. It's it's horrific. Look with me here at verse 18 here of John chapter 9. Because there's this debate about if this miracle even happened. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. They're trying to discredit the miracle. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. Let's bring in some witnesses. Let's go after his dad and his mom. Let's see if they'll testify that he was blind and now he sees. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see?" And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. In fact, why don't you ask him? He's of age. He's his own man. Let him speak for himself. Now that sounds reasonable. If it's true. If that's really what happened. But we get this interesting parenthesis. Where John lets us know behind the scenes. Verse 22. His parents said these things. Because they feared the Jews. Because they were afraid of what people would think. For the Jews had already agreed. That if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ. If anyone was going to act like Jesus was God and Lord. He was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said. He's of age. Why don't you ask him? Do you realize this is being disowned is what's happening here? I mean, this is your baby. I mean, we saw some babies come up on the stage already in child dedications. We saw some beautiful families up here with beautiful children, gifts from God. You know, I think one of the greatest joys that we as parents experience in life is to see the world through our kids' eyes. What a joy that is. To experience life with them and to see the joy and the excitement and all the things that they learn as they encounter the world. And how, how, what a tragedy it must have been for these parents when their son was born and their son couldn't see. What suffering that must have been for them. I mean, just yesterday, just an example of this. Just yesterday, my son played in his first baseball game. Something that I was looking forward to as a dad. And when the game's over and they win the game and he's running and he's so exciting. Finally, all of the playing catch and all of the batting practice and all of the ground balls. Now he's like, dad, now I see why we do that stuff. Because the games are really fun, right? The practice, man, that was brutal. But the games are the payoff. And it's just like his excitement. And you can just see he gets it. Can you imagine never experiencing that with your child? Never seeing your son be able to see things for the first time and experience them in that way. Feeling like your son is alone in the dark and you have to try to make sure he's protected and lead him through. And now you get the good news after all these years and after all this suffering that your son can now see. Can you imagine that if you were a parent? Can you imagine the heartache of your child being blind? And the joy of them being able to see. What are the immediate ten things you would want to show your kid? I mean, where are the best places that you would want to take them? To behold the beauty of God's creation. Would we not be waking up to see the sunrise? And to go catch the sunset and tell them that happens every day. Every single day that happens. And these parents, when they hear that their child can now see out of their fear of what people will think about them, they leave him on his own and disassociate from him completely. Can you believe that? And it's happened to so many people at this church who've professed faith in Jesus here, and then they go tell their mom and their dad. And what do they experience? Rejection from their own parents. They don't share in their excitement. They don't think it's a good thing they don't talk about all the things that we can now experience together no they actually resent them and they act like who is their kid to act like they would need jesus too in their life see see this separation this division it's not just between us and the world it's going to happen right in our closest personal relationships the people that we love the people that gave birth to us the people that we gave birth to it's going to divide even us in our families go to matthew 10 and look what jesus has to say there Look at the warnings that he gives to these guys. Clearly speaking to all Christians throughout history. To all of his disciples who will follow him and have to suffer in this world. He says, hey, don't fear men. You shouldn't be selling out your kids based on what the synagogue's going to think about you. No, don't fear men. Fear God is what he says. But then he gets to this part in Matthew 10 verse 34. Look at it. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I'm not going to unite everybody here. No, I've, come to, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. And maybe even if your family saved, well then you get married into another family, and a daughter-in-law is set against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. In fact, it has to be this way, Jesus says. You have to put me first, even over your own family. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves their own kids, son or daughter, more than me is not worthy of me. No, you, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But you've got to lose your life for my sake. To find it, and one of the things you're going to lose in this life to follow Jesus Christ is relationships. Let's get that down for point number two. In this world, you will lose relationships. Okay? And if your parents are saved, praise the Lord. And if your kids get saved, praise the Lord. But somewhere, somebody that you know and love, that you want to be united with, you will find yourself divided with them because you're following Jesus and they're following the ways of this world. This will happen to every single one of us will experience this. And it's brutal and it's painful. And I get concerned for people here at our church that decide to take that bold step of faith And to put their trust in Jesus Christ and then they go back to their family and they experience just rejection. It is amazing to me the cruelty that has been done to people at this church by their own family members because they claim Jesus Christ. It's brutal. And it's happening all around us. And that's why it's so important that when someone does profess faith here, we come around them as a new family, as a church family. That's why we need to be in these fellowship groups and become brothers and sisters in Christ together. Go to Acts chapter 20. And you'll see this as Paul is preparing people. Again, as he's equipping Christians for what they're going to have to face in this world that is against Jesus. Here in Acts 20, he's leaving this Ephesian church. That he's been with for years. And he's speaking even just to the leaders of this church. And he's trying to prepare them for he knows the negative things that are going to happen after he leaves. And he's giving a whole speech to these guys in Acts chapter 20. And you can see, look down at verse 28. Look at what he says here about how there's going to be torn and divided relationships. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Watch yourselves and all the flock. Watch the church. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. These are the elders, the pastors of the church. To care for the church of God. Which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Okay, Jesus warned us that we're like sheep in the midst of wolves. But now, where does it say that these fierce wolves are? They are among where? Us, right here in the church. See, the world is actually going to come and try to infiltrate the church. This isn't just going to be a problem. We're even going to have outside the doors of the church. No, it says, it's going to creep in among us. And it even says, look at verse 30. And from among your own selves, even among the leaders of the church, will arise men speaking twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. Even here in the church, if you listen, if you pay attention, if you guard yourself and you guard the people around you here at our church, you will hear the twisted things of this world even being spoken among us. And these people, they're going to try to actually divide the church. They're going to try to draw away disciples after them. And he says, therefore be alert, verse 31, remembering for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. For three years I've been warning you about this. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to keep building you up. I believe that God will continue to build His church, but I also believe that people will come in and try to tear down the church of Jesus Christ by dividing it and getting people to follow them rather than Christ. This is a real warning for us here at this church. That really, not only do we maybe lose our natural family, when we come to faith in Christ, maybe there's people in our natural family that reject us. But then we come in here looking for a new family, a family that's united around Christ. And even here, among God's people, there are divisions that take place. And people go out from us because they were not of us, as it says in 1 John 2.19. I mean, if you've gone to church for over a decade, if you've been at church for 20 years, then chances are you've experienced at least one good church split in that time. And man, they are nasty. Man, people don't recover from those kinds of things. Where here we all are claiming to worship Jesus together, we're all claiming to be on Team Jesus. We're not even acting like we're the world. And yet even there we see a division that sends people in different directions. And the world's trying to creep in and take people out of the church away from Jesus Christ. And relationships are going to be lost and it's going to hurt. There's no way to do church right without heartache and pain. As people that you love, you open yourself up to them. You make yourself vulnerable to them. And then you see yourself get divided from them. And if you've been loving people at church for a while, you want to say amen right now, don't you? Because there's a few faces that aren't here still with us. And it pains you. Not like you're upset with them. Not like you're angry at them. No, you're heartbroken for them. Because you love them like a brother or a sister. And then they stabbed you in the back. And they betrayed you. And they stopped following Jesus Christ. And you, th- you feel bad every time you think about them. See? Tension that's ongoing. That never ends as long maybe as you're alive. There will be tension between you and other people. Because you've said Jesus is going to be first in your life. And they haven't said that. And when you put Jesus above them. It feels to them like you're rejecting them. Like you hate them. And you're divided from them. You're going to lose relationships in the name of Jesus. And on the man that this day could see. It actually was the darkest day of his life. Because that's the day his own parents disowned him in the synagogue. Can you imagine the pain of this guy? But man, it doesn't faze him. Go back to John 9 and look at what he says. Look at the bold testimony that he gives when they bring him back on trial in front of the synagogue in verse 24. So for the second time, they call the man to come because they're still trying to debunk this miracle. And now his parents have, even though they've kind of disowned him, and they've gone on the side of the world, on the side of the synagogue here of the Pharisees, well they've actually affirmed that he was blind and now he's seeing. So he's still got to deal with that problem. And so in verse 24, for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God we know that this man is a sinner. When they refer to this man being a sinner, who are they referring to in that statement? That's one of the most ironic statements you will ever read in all of the Bible. In fact, the, the apostle John, he loves to write with this kind of irony. This is a classic line in the Gospel of John. "Give glory to God and call Jesus a sinner." That's what they're saying. Not give glory to God and call yourself a sinner. And pray that, praise Him for saving you. No, here's how you're going to glorify God. By denouncing Jesus Christ. See, that's the way of the world. And I know maybe some people aren't really tracking with this whole like persecution idea. Like the world doesn't really have it that bad for Jesus. People are pretty cool with Jesus. Well, people are pretty cool with the Jesus that they made up to be Jesus. They're not cool with the Jesus that is here in the scripture. See, they're not, no, the world is no way tolerating a Jesus who says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father no matter what you believe or what religion you're a part of. You ain't getting to the Father except through me. Well, the world's not tolerating that. And when the world starts hearing Jesus call people out on their sins and call them to repentance or they will perish in their sin apart from Him. No, when the world starts feeling that judgment, uh, they're not going to feel that at all. Oh they might be okay with the Jesus who preaches the golden rule and says let's treat others the way that we want to be treated. But when they start hearing the Jesus that says repent and believe in the gospel. No don't be deceived that we think that the world is going to go along with him. No they're rejecting him every single day. And and so um, we see that here. Give glory to God by calling Jesus a sinner. And he answered whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, here's a great line. If you're ever put on trial for Christ, don't try to say what you don't know. Say what you do know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? See, they're trying to get him to say it again. They're trying to trap him in his words. And he answered them, I've told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? do you also want to become his disciples? I like this guy. This blind man who can now see. He's got some keen insight into what's going on here. Maybe he's a little upset his parents just left him in the lurch. Maybe he's upset with the tone of these guys. But he's giving them a little cheek. This is a little trash talk here. A little bit of sarcasm from this guy. Oh, I see. You guys want to believe and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And again, they're claiming that all these extra biblical traditions that they made up go all the way back to Moses, which is not true. You will not find them in the law, the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. That you can't make mud and, and, and turn from saliva. You're not going to find that in the real scripture. You're going to find it in the things that they've added on. And if you've studied cults and false religions, don't they get into so much trouble, not because of what the Bible says, but the things that they've added on to the Bible. See, that's what's going on here. They're claiming to be from Moses, but they're not. And they say, you are his disciple, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And now, here's the blind man who's now seeing, and now he's going for it. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God. And does his will. God listens to him. God hears the prayers not of the wicked. But of the righteous. Hmm. Never since the world began has it been heard. That anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God. He could do nothing. I mean talk about making a strong argument. Starting to make some biblical sense here. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. And that doesn't mean they just kicked him out of that trial, that meeting right there. That means they kicked him out of the synagogue. That means they excommunicated him. That means the whole Jewish social circle there that he was a part of, well, he just got excluded from it. Which means, where is he going to stay? Who's going to hire him? Where's his next meal coming from? Like the whole bartering and trading thing that would have been going on at that time. Like he's out of all of that right now. Like he's an outcast, basically. And that's what the world's going to do to us. They're not going to let us uh, fit in. They're going to kick us out. Let's get that down for point number three. In this world you will experience persecution. It is going to cost you something. The world is going to come against you. They will not let you fit in. You're going to be like poor little Rudolph not ready to play in all the reindeer games. That's how the world's going to be towards us. You got your nose shining so bright in the light of Jesus Christ. You are not going to be included when the world is celebrating and doing what it wants to do. They're going to leave you out of it. And you're thinking, well now persecution, you're coming on a little strong here today. I don't know about that. Because this is America and we don't get persecuted. Now let's just talk about that for a second. I love the fact That we have religious freedom here in this country. That we can openly worship Jesus in this assembly here this morning. And there is no fear of any of us going to jail or getting fined. I love that we have religious freedom uh, here in America. Anybody want to say amen to that? Anybody appreciate the freedoms that we have? And we live in a nation that was founded by people, it seems like, who the whole purpose that they came across the Atlantic Ocean to the land of America, was they were trying to get away from a government-controlled church from a church that told them how they had to worship. They went all the way into the government and they believed that the government and the church should be two separate things. And so they came over here looking for religious freedom. And I think that was such a sincere desire of so many of the first colonists here in America that you can see that honor for God in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of our land. Even if not everybody who was a founding father was a Christian, this idea is embedded into our country. And we praise the Lord for that. Okay? But if you think that you are not going to get persecuted in America, well, you might not get killed or thrown in prison or beaten up, but it is going to cost you something and the world is going to reject you. That's a promise. Okay? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at this with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mean, there, there is definitely persecution happening on the planet right now, where Christians are being killed, Christians are being uh, thrown into jail, they're being fined, they're being mocked, beaten up, harassed. Many churches that are meeting on the Lord's Day, Sunday, Resurrection Day, all across the world, they're meeting underground. They don't have a sign out front that says their name and what times to show up. That's happening all over the planet. Now, praise the Lord in America, we can meet openly, but you've got to think about this verse right here in Scripture. This is Paul right before he's about to get killed for his preaching of the Gospel. And he writes to Timothy, his disciple, and he says, You followed my teaching. This is 2 Timothy 3.10 and then verse 11. You're following in my teaching, my patience, my love, and now you're following in my persecutions and sufferings. All the things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra. Yeah, we just read about that in Acts 14. When he got got stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be... What does it say there? Oh, you guys weren't too excited about that. If it had said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be blessed. will be saved. will be healed. will be happy. You would have your pink highlighter out right now. And you'd be like, ooh, I like this one. Let's draw some flowers. Let's put it on a card and send it to so-and-so and write an encouraging note. So they'll be blessed as they live their day. Right? That's what we usually do with promises in scripture. We get encouraged by them. We like them. We say, yay, preach that one one more time. Preacher man, I like that. Turn to that passage a lot. That page, yeah, I've always been to that page in my Bible. I really like that one. Here's a promise in the Scripture. Same exact thing. Same exact principle. Every promise that you believe in the Scripture is going to come true for good. Well, here's one maybe that you don't like so much. If you are going to live for God, if your life is radically going to be different because you're repenting of your sin. And you're following Jesus by faith, this world is going to come after you. You will be persecuted. This is a promise. And so the question is not, if I'm a Christian, why am I not being persecuted? The question is more, how could a Christian like me not be experiencing persecution? Okay, the problem is not that America doesn't know how to persecute us. The problem is maybe we don't know how to be a Christian. See? Oh, we think the pagans are just nicer here in America? we just got some good apples here in America. No, they they don't like Jesus just as much as people don't like Jesus in other countries. See? Just because the law right now establishes us some freedom, I guarantee you, if you're living differently than other people, they're not going to like you, you goody two-shoes. See? And maybe the reason people don't know you're a Christian to persecute is the volume on your Jesus tone is just a little too low for them to really hear. Maybe they don't quite understand what exactly you're saying. Maybe you haven't really been saying it. Maybe you're actually blending in with the way of the world, see. And so they don't know they should be persecuting you because you roll along with kind of the jokes and stories and the conversations and the trends and the sins of the culture. No, if you're desiring to live godly, if you're standing out like a light in the darkness, the darkness will attack you back. That's what it says right here. So this is a promise This is something that is going to happen to every single person who actually does live godly in Jesus Christ. At some point, someone will come after you, okay? That's a promise. And you could take that to the bank. And if you've been claiming to be a Christian for a long time, and you've never been persecuted, that's a problem. Because being persecuted is actually a good thing. Do you believe that? Now I'm not, I'm not some zealot who's saying, let's go do crazy things so they'll persecute us more. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what persecution shows. It shows which team you're on. It affirms, maybe it's one of the best actually ways to affirm that you're on team Jesus and you don't go along with the ways of this world. Because when the world's coming after you, see that's the way they went after the apostle Paul who got killed after he wrote this, right? Right? That's the way they went after Jesus. We think they're going to beat up our Lord. They're going to they're mock Him. They're going to make Him carry his own, uh, his own cross. And then He can't even do that. They're going to nail Him to the cross. They're going to mock Him some more. They're going to watch Him die. And then they're going to come and be friends with us? We really think that's how this story is going to play out? They're going to hate Jesus, but they're going to love us? Oh, that's dangerous territory. No, if they hated Jesus... And I'm with Jesus. And if there's one thing I want to be in this life, it's with Jesus. And so if I'm with Jesus, this world, man, they're going to come after us. And they're going to try to divide you and get you out of here and go along with them. And they'll creep in here among us. And they'll try to take you away. That's what's going to happen to every single one of us. I mean, the Bible goes so far as to say, blessed are those who are It is a promise that we're supposed to cherish. We should get out our pink highlighter. We should put the flowers next to it. Because it says happy are the persecuted. Well how could you be happy? When you thought it was such a great thing. That you came back from the pool of Siloam seeing. And now everybody's having a controversy about you. And your parents just disown you. And the religious leaders. Who control the social economic culture. Just kicked you out of it. How can you be happy in that moment? We'll go back to John chapter 9. And you'll see how you can be happy. When the world hates you. And you see here. That when his parents have disowned him. And the world has cast him out. And that's what the world will do to every one of us. They'll cast us out. And if you're feeling like that's a brutal idea that we're studying here in the sermon this morning. Well, let me tell you, if you're in Christ, He holds you in His hand and no one can snatch you out of His hand and He will never cast you out. Anybody want to say amen to that? And that's why John 9 rolls right into John 10. And that's why we got some positive, feel-good sermons coming up about how once Jesus has you, He will never let you go. And nothing this world does to you can ever separate you from the love you have in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean the world's not going to try though. See? Doesn't mean they're not going to come after you. And here's this man, I mean, could you imagine? The day you got to see the light became the darkest day in your life for this guy. Parents throwing him under the bus. People casting him out. And verse 35 comes along. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him. Here's Jesus walking through the streets looking for the man. And having found him he said. Do you believe in the son of man? And he answered. And who is he sir? That I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him. You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believed. And he worshipped him. As in he got down on his face. And he bowed before Jesus. And he worshipped him. And Jesus then said, this is why I came. So that blind people like this man could see. And those who think they can see will be shown to be blind. See, what happens when you suffer for Jesus is you share in the sufferings of Jesus. And there is perhaps no place that you will feel a closer kinship and closer intimacy with your Lord Jesus Christ than when you are persecuted. Because that is a road he knows how to walk down. And when they were striking him, see, he opened not his mouth. When they were mocking him, he did not reply. No, when He was up on the cross bleeding out to pay for your sin, and they were saying, too bad because He saved others and He can't save Himself. No, He took it and He endured and He persevered in the midst of their persecution and He died to save the persecutors who were mocking Him for not saving Himself. See, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And yeah, in this world... There's going to be a great division. And you will lose relationships. And I guarantee you, I promise you, you will experience persecution. But here's why you should gladly accept it all. Because you will have Jesus. That's who you'll have with you. And that's point number four. If this world is going to disown you and come after you, but you get Jesus at the end of it, well it is worth it. Let me tell you right now. And Philippians 3, Paul says, I want to know Jesus, not only in the power of His resurrection, there's another way that I, not only in the new life and the eternal life, but there's another way I want to know Jesus, I want to share in His sufferings, he says. And then we are all called to suffer as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, because we are not at peace. Do you think at peace? Do you try to live like you're at peace as a Christian? You're a soldier in the Lord's army. And the world has declared war on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they will come after you. And so you have to endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all called to. It's actually a badge of honor, it's actually a privilege that people would somehow think. That by the words that come out of my mouth and the actions of my life, that people would associate me with Jesus Christ. And every time they mock me and they try to put me down, you know what I'm really hearing? Compliments that I'm with Jesus. And I think I'm blessed. I'm happy. Because I'd rather be associated with Jesus Christ than anybody else on this planet. Are you with me on this? And I don't know what's going to happen in America... I don't know what's going to change, if anything's going to change, but it seems to me like we're about to experience a ramp up in the persecution department and I wonder how many of us are really equipped and prepared for what is coming. Go to John chapter 16, later on when Jesus is going to instruct his disciples. We're going to talk about persecution even later in the gospel of John. Jesus says this, As he's instructing them in the last night before he was about to experience the ultimate persecution, his execution on the cross, which is known as his suffering for us throughout Scripture. And the call then that we are supposed to suffer with him in Christ. Well, he says this in John chapter 16. Look at this. I've said all these things to you, and he's talking about, you can see the heading there in John 15, the hatred of the world. the world's really going to come after us and hate us. Why are we having a sermon like this, such a negative focus about how the world's going to be negative towards us? Why would we spend a whole Sunday morning going over this? Well, here it is. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. We want you to be prepared for the negative response that's going to come from the twisted thinking of this world. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, we just saw that in chapter 9. Indeed, check this out. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. People will kill Christians in the name of God. Is that happening anywhere in the world right now? Does that sound like Islam to anybody here this morning? Do you see how? The thinking that if we can't support people in their sin, then we are bigots and we are unloving and we are the worst kind of people. Do you see how eventually that kind of thinking could come against us because we're unloving and we don't have the love of God? Oh, this twisted thinking of this world. And the reason they're like this, verse 3, they will do these things because they have not known the Father. They don't know God, nor me. Killing people in the name of a God that don't even know the real God. But I've said these things to you. Why? When their hour comes, when the persecution comes to you, that you may remember that I told them to you. That you may be remembering a sermon like this. That you were prepared and equipped for this suffering that is to come. And look at how he ends it. At the end of the chapter, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Are you going to have peace in your family? Peace here in America? Peace in the world? No. In the world you have tribulation. You're going to have trouble, persecution, it's coming. But take heart, be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Oh yeah, persecution's coming. We're going out. And hey, let me tell you guys, as you leave this morning. Hey, beware of men. Watch out for those wolves. There's some maybe sitting next to you here at church this morning. Hey, watch out. And when you get overwhelmed, when it feels dark and hard... And like the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. And what's going on? Hey, you just remember this. You take courage. Turn your heart around. Because Jesus Christ has overcome this world. And He's with you when you're persecuted. And you share in His sufferings. This whole world wants to mock Jesus. Well, then they're going to have to mock me too. And I hope you're going to have to mock you. Because I'm going to stand with Jesus Christ. The one who seeks out blind people like me. And opens our eyes. And when the world casts me out. He comes and finds me. Say, That's who I want to give my life to. Let's pray. God we thank you so much. For the challenge of this passage. For the straightforwardness of this. For the clarity that the world is going to come after us. And what an example we see with this poor man. Who was born blind. But that wasn't the end of his troubles. When he could see. No that was only the beginning of the troubles. Disowned by his parents. Cast out of the synagogue. And yet we see Jesus seeking him out. Making sure he has his faith in Christ. To encourage him. And God we just pray. That you will encourage us. That you will use this message. To prepare us. To equip us for the persecution. That is surely coming. If it hasn't already upon us all. And God, we pray that we will be the ones who endure to the end and experience salvation in Jesus Christ. That the persecution will not drive us away from Christ, will not divide us here at this church, will not cause us to give up because it's too hard to keep living for Jesus when the world's so against us. No, God, help us to realize that Jesus Christ is with us when we share in His sufferings and what a blessing it is to be called one of His Jesus' people in this planet. Let us wear that as a badge of honor and consider ourselves good soldiers who endure suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, I just pray for anybody here who realizes this morning that they're not experiencing persecution. They're not suffering with Jesus. No, they kind of blend in with the world that we live in. They have no problem going along with the flow. No one's ever kind of felt like they were shining too much light on their darkness and had a negative reaction to them. God, we pray that if there's somebody who's blind here this morning, that You would open their eyes. That they might see You even here right now today. That it's worth it to have this whole world against You. If Jesus Christ is for us, then who can be against us, God? Remind us of that message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.